when I connected it with psychology was just advancing my treatment and healing in leaps and bounds um, so that I really couldn't have overcome my anxiety, depression and recovered from my eating disorder without these incredible spiritual practices that I was doing and engaging in. Um, we can't take the psychology out of the context. Like we, the context is psychologists and counselors are very good at looking at a lot of environmental factors, but there are also things that they don't really consider. So sometimes, um, depending on who you speak to, you know, as a, a, a typical talking therapist, if someone called up and said, I have anxiety and I have depression, um, and you were to treat them in some of the traditional health models that we have here, you wouldn't even look at their sleep, their eating, their culture, their spiritual practices, um, their exercise. Like there's, there's things there that you would kind of just go to straight to treating the depression with the traditional things for depression. But depression doesn't occur in this vacuum. Welcome to the Empowered Spirituality Podcast. Join me, your host, Samantha Nagel, a certified integrative nutrition health coach, poet, witch, and work in progress for grounding meditations, inspiring interviews, and reflections about spirituality, holistic health, and the world around us. Join in every Thursday as we explore what empowered spirituality means to us in today's world. Hello and welcome to the Empowered Spirituality Podcast. I could not be more excited to share with you this episode with Annabella Rosa. Uh, I heard Annabella on Steph's podcast with Wednesday um, and I loved her. I thought she, and you'll agree, <laughs> I thought she had the best way of explaining things um, and just such a mindful and holistic approach to the work that she's doing. Uh, I, I absolutely loved it. Um, yeah, it's, it's, this is packed with information. So some, ex uh, some advice that I would maybe give to you as you listen is to either plan on listening to it again. So maybe the first time you listen to this, you just let it sink in and then you listen to it again or grab a journal or a notes app on your phone to take some notes as you listen to this episode. Because um, it really it, it really does have so much beautiful imagery and information uh, for you. And this is for everyone, I think. I think everyone should listen to this. I mean, I think everyone should listen to all of them, <laughs> um, but this was just really beautiful. Um, so I'm joined with Annabella Rosa, she, her, who is a university qualified mental health professional with over 15 years of experience in counseling and supporting women. Annabella is also a witch of nearly 20 years. She's on a mission to unite psychology and spirituality to help educate, inspire, and empower mystical women to heal themselves, their families, and the world. So she's also called the Mental Health Witch on Instagram. 
And we talked a lot about the psychology of stress, what happens in your brain when you're feeling stressed out and how this contributes to common mental health issues like anxiety or depression. We talk about the three parts of the brain and the archetypes that she's given each part of the brain, which I, I, I adore, um, as well as how witchcraft or spiritual practices can be incorporated into mental health and why and how they are beneficial, both from a spiritual standpoint, but also from a scientific standpoint. And you know, this is, this is the stuff that I love so much if you've been listening for a while. Um, so much of her path aligns with my own. Um, I think she even said, I... Um, You'll hear me in the interview say that I forgot to tell her something um, that I just wanted to comment on, but this is it. <laughs> um, we had the same path from Wicca to pagan to goddess worship. I don't uh, belly dance, but I've always, always, always wanted to. Um, so maybe this was an inspiring moment. Um, there's a beautiful place about an hour away from me that does courses that I may move to eventually. So when, if I do, um, that will be something that I will be sure to look into more because I just think it's so beautiful. Um, yeah, but just so much of her path mirrored my own as well. And it felt so exciting to hear, um, and so validating as well, just for myself personally. Um, but also so exciting because this is the stuff that I absolutely love so much, which is combining the, the science and the psychology of the brain and the body and merging that with the spiritual. I just think it's so amazing. Um, yeah, she just is so intelligent and so smart. I think this is a great episode. So I really do hope you enjoy and I hope this can work with you in your life. And I hope you can, um, yeah, just get some information that might be helpful for you from this. I am joined with Annabella Rosa. Annabella, how are you? I'm great, thank you. How are you, Sam? I'm good, thank you so much. I'm really excited to have you here. Before I um, pressed record, I was just telling you that I heard you on Witch Wednesday's podcast and mm -hmm. I absolutely loved it. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> You're welcome, so I'm very excited. Um, can you start by telling us a little bit about what you do and who you are? Who you are, and what you do. I like, I want who you are to be first, not what you do. <laughs> oh, who I am. That's an interesting question. Um, I think that's a lifelong journey. <laughs> um, but I guess I would say that if we were talking about it from a speed dating perspective, the things you'd like to know about me um, is that I'm a witch and pagan. Um, I'm very passionate about all things psychology. Um, so that's been my area of study for my pretty much my entire adult life. Um, I'm very passionate about helping people and making the world a better place. So ultimately, my life purpose or mission is that I feel like the world is a very unfair place. And that's kind of the go for everyone. Um, sometimes that unfair is good for you and sometimes it's bad for you. But I'm on a mission to make the world a little bit more fairer. And the best way to do that is by helping one person at a time and supporting one person at a time. Um, other than that, I live in Australia, um, in southeast Queensland, which is a beautiful, sunny beach area. So I'm very 
privileged and fortunate to have access to beautiful beaches, beautiful food and beautiful people, like just being around really incredible, amazing people in this part of the world. I'm a very passionate dancer. Um, I'm a goddess devotee. So that is a huge part of my life. Um, and I'm also a vegetarian, so very big animal lover. Oh, I love that. And I saw on your Instagram that you're a belly dancer. Yes, that's right. But almost pretty much as long as I've been a witch, actually, <laughs> but kind of happened at the same time. <laughs> you feel like they're connected? Very connected. Yes. <laughs> that is so beautiful. I've actually always had um, such a fascination with belly dancing and I went to this beautiful uh, show here and all the women were dressed as goddesses and they were all playing out some sort of goddess story and it was just so gorgeous. Yeah, it's beautiful. It really is that art of, um, it combines a lot of different things, um, which I think we'll get into with the talking about the psychology side, because that's the kind of what I do aspect is um, combining the spiritual and the psychology side of things so I really want that you know we've got this body mind spirit and often people focus on one or the other but they're so interconnected so what I really do and what my mission is and this is like a, a labor of love I have to say because I have my day job that I do so like I'm moonlighting as the mental health witch and it really came out of this this unmet need that I experienced in my own life and then I was constantly coming into contact with because you can imagine like when you go to a party and people say, what do you do? And you say, I'm a counsellor. They're like, oh, I have depression or like I'm supporting my um, niece who has ADHD or whatever. So suddenly you're drawn into all these conversations. Um, so doing what I do, I'm kind of moonlighting as the mental health, which just to um, try and support a group that I sort of saw was a bit less supported because mm. there was this real disconnect. Like you can't go to a psychologist and talk about you know, oh, I see spirits um, without the psychologist getting out their notepad and going, mm-hmm, and writing that down or, you know, yeah. the underlining like magical thinking symptom um, <laughs> or yeah. something like yeah. that. So there seems to be this big disconnect that other cultures and religions don't necessarily have. Um, so, you know, looking at Christianity, for example, um, we have in Australia a lot of chaplains, so a lot of people who are trained in supporting people through a Christian lens. Um, so when you look at the witch and pagan community, they often don't really have anyone who can support them through their spiritual lens. Yeah. So that's kind of what I do. So I do a whole range of stuff. Um, my big passion is psychoeducation. So teaching people about their own psychology, because I feel like I don't want to be the gatekeeper and of, of this knowledge. This knowledge needs to be accessible, freely available, applicable, practical. It needs to be something that people can access and that works. So that's been, um, I'm often reminded when I talk to clients, how little they know about their own psychology through no fault of their own, because how would you get this information? Otherwise I've lived and breathed it for 15 years. So that's um, my big passion is when you give people the tools and the knowledge that they need, knowledge really is power. And you give people what they need to manage their own mental health. Mm, I love that. And I love that point about how if you were to go to a psychologist or a professional and say some of the things that we've said or I've said on the podcast, um, yeah, they would start taking those notes. Yeah, it's just so interesting that we've like, I think it's like a kind of a colonization 
Mm. Not kind of, it is like how colonization shows up in mental health. Um, So I really love that you're providing that safe space, I guess, or that container for folks who, Mm -hmm. who need it. And yeah, I just think that's really beautiful. Yes, thank you. Yeah, and just like mentioning that that colonization lens, I did also want to um, acknowledge the traditional owners of the land that I'm currently on, so the Turbul and Yagara people, um, which is just uh, something that we often do in Australia um, to you know try to acknowledge the people who have been here for sixty thousand years plus. Um, and something that I was taught in psychology is that you do there are exceptions. So culturally, if I was working with someone from a different cultural background um, from around the world, so someone say from a Chinese background, for instance, Mm. um, if they were to talk about spirits or something like that, it would be completely socially acceptable and it wouldn't necessarily indicate something that you needed to note down, but that never really applied to people. Like it's basically really culturally specific so that if someone as part of general Western culture talked about you know, having um, powerful vivid dreams or um, having spirit guides or things like that, that it would ring alarm bells. And yeah. that's so often not the case. I mean, obviously there are times when someone might be hearing voices, for instance, that's really concerning. Um, yeah. But a lot of the time you weren't really able to make that judgment yourself working in a different, like working for an organisation or working in a different framework. Yeah. Yeah. It must be so freeing to be able to have that moonlighting as you called it. Yeah. And it adds a richness because then you can also work with that person. You know, a spell might be an incredible coping strategy for them, but as a professional, you know, by day, you can't necessarily be like, well, have you considered doing like a ritual around your grief or doing a spell around this or, you know, that kind of thing. But it frees me up to, to support people in that way as well. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, I love that so much. Um, Yeah, I think I'd like to maybe dive into that a little bit more. And I'm curious if you could elaborate on the intersection between witchcraft and mental health. Mm, That's a a very big topic. (laughs) So um, I guess um, it might help if we actually jump back a little bit, if that's okay, Um, because I know when you heard me talk on Witch Wednesday, you heard me talk about three different parts of the brain. Um, And I think that that kind of leads really nicely into how the witchcraft works for mental health, um, because it kind of allows me to introduce a fourth part of the brain. But um, it's nice to have this understanding of the different parts of the brain initially. So. Um, Obviously, I'm taking a very complex subject and simplifying it. So it is an oversimplification. So I just wanted to sort of add that disclaimer on here. But it's to help people understand in a short amount of time uh, a little bit more about their own psychology. So in general, when I'm working with people, I talk about three different parts of the brain and I've put a witchy spin on them because it's so much more fun and easy to remember. So the first part of the brain um, that's really helpful to know is your brainstem, which is the part that connects your your spine to your brain. It's the first part to develop, and it was the first part of our brain to evolve. Um, And I like to think of this part of your brain as kind of being like this really awesome inner huntress. So when I say a huntress, like think about like Artemis or Diana, like those sort of goddesses. And the reason why I say it's a huntress is because this part of your brain is all about survival. So it does all the basic functions to keep you alive. It controls things like your heart rate, your body temperature. 
It controls movement. It controls reaction. So, you know, if you've ever put your hand on something really hot and pulled away before you felt it, that was your huntress taking the reins um, and reacting to keep you safe. So all that part of your brain is all about staying alive, surviving, being safe and secure. And she's a huntress, right? She's not a warrior because she, she sometimes is about running away. So sometimes the best thing to do to stay safe is to run away and live to fight another day. Sometimes she will fight. So she will actually, you know, she has her bow and arrow. She will fight someone if she needs to. But sometimes she's also about just getting food, that basic survival. She'll stalk her prey. She'll be really quiet. She won't move for a long time. So she's really quite dynamic in what she will do to survive. She actually directly connects to the next part of your brain, which is kind of right in the middle and is the second to develop which is your emotional brain, otherwise known as your limbic system. And there's a lot of structures in your limbic system, things like um, your amygdala, your hypothalamus. So all of these things are really focused on emotions and memory and learning. Um, so your emotional brain, I like to think of it as kind of your inner mermaid. And the reason why I think of that is because mermaids, you know, they're really, they're really sensual in that they're really connected with their senses. So they're getting all this information in like, oh, like that texture feels nice and all oh, that food is yummy. But they're also quite emotional, like an inner mermaid, like they're a little bit of a drama queen sometimes. Um, but they also mean well and, you know, like they, they love love. They seek out pleasure and they avoid pain. So that's your inner mermaid. So she's kind of working, your huntress and your inner mermaids are pretty good friends and um, they're constantly communicating back and forth with each other. And then the last part of your brain, um, and this is a super fast version, so feel free to ask me questions, Sam, if it's not making sense. But um, the last part is your neocortex or the part right at the front. Um, we call that kind of your thinking brain because it does a lot of the higher functioning, higher executive functioning. It doesn't finish developing until you're about 25 years old. So it controls things like critical thinking, logic, communication, really important. That's where your communication sits. Um, problem solving, making decisions. And I like to think of that as your queen because, you know, it's kind of this higher level, like assessing the situation, trying to make the best decision, applying more information. So not making emotional decisions, applying logic to those decisions. Um, and that queen, she's only ever really communicating directly with the mermaid. So just like we have body, mind, and soul, the way your brain is connected together is that your huntress is relaying information to the mermaid and the mermaid is relaying information to the queen and the queen is relaying information back down to the mermaid who relays information back down to the inner huntress that you have. So there's a, a communication loop that's going on, but something that's really important is that this the pinnacle of that, the the important connector is the mermaid brain or the emotional brain, whatever you'd prefer to call it. Oh, I love that so much. When I heard you describe that on uh, Witch Wednesday, I thought that was amazing. And what I really like about it is I feel like we hear about the three parts of the brain. And for me anyways, as someone who tends to classify things as good and bad, um, I tend to think like highest part of the brain, best part of the brain, the other parts, I like put a little bit of shame in them or like 
we tend to kind of think of them as hierarchical, I think. And mm. I love that your structure and your like archetypes more just paint them as like three sovereign parts of a whole person. Mm-hmm. I think that's so beautiful. Yeah, thank you. I think it just makes it easy to remember as well. Like yeah, if I just said like, this is your neocortex, uh, that information is gone. If it's not valuable to you, um, like it's it's tricky to remember. And psychology has a lot of psychobabble um, that people don't understand. But if you don't remember anything, but you walk away and you're like, oh, there's like these three parts of my brain and like one of them's a queen and she talks to the mermaid, like that's really powerful as well. Um, and I think it just creates such, you know, working with archetypes. It just gives you so much more information than if I was to dot point list what the brain does, what those parts do. Um, so, you know, they have personality in a way. Mm, yes, personality. And I think my inner child really likes it too. I like hearing you talk about mermaids and queens and huntresses. It just is fun and feels good. It sure does. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. Um, yeah, you you take it away now because I, I want to dive into like how this can apply into our life and you also mentioned the fourth part of the brain so I'll let you kind of navigate that awesome so as a um as a my background is in psychology for 15 years so I have a bachelor of behavioral science which is a combination of count uh, of sorry of psychology and of neuroscience which is why I'm so passionate about the brain because you don't really have psychology without the brain um and I've been working in clinical practice since basically for 12 or 13 years now, um, working with clients in a crisis center and stuff like that. So working with a lot of really intense and a lot of um, really complex mental health issues. Um, And something that I guess is a little bit of my own observation is that stress is often a really big trigger for what's going on with people's mental health. So it's really an underlying cause or at least a contributor so I'm very passionate about educating people around stress um, because what's actually happening is those things that I'm talking about in your brain these are things that evolved tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of years ago when our environment was really very different so you're kind of functioning on this prehistoric cave woman sort of technology in a very modern world So we have this environmental mismatch right now where how our brain was designed to work, how it was designed to respond to threats and respond to danger doesn't really match the complexity of our society. And this causes a lot of issues. So when we're talking about stress, stress is environmental, right? And stress is primarily in your body and it leads to worry, which is mental in your your head, your thoughts which then can lead to those responses like anxiety, depression, and trauma. So when we are talking about stress, the thing to know about them is that there's this competition between nature and nurture. So we have our genetic makeup and our genes, they're set, like we're born with them. They're what we have to work with and they kind of define the limits of what's possible. So they define what we could realistically have. So, you know, if you have, um, let's say, your genes say you could grow to be like five foot seven, that sets the limit. You won't grow beyond that. But what you eat, your childhood experiences, that real nurture thing will affect that. So when we are talking about stress, stress affects how genes are expressed. 
So they cause these things, they cause what's known as epigenetic changes. So they, even though your genes are set, they can trigger different things depending on what's happening in your environment. So, you know, you might have, it might be in your genes that you could possibly get something like bipolar disorder, but it may or may not be triggered by your environment. So that's why stress is so important because it actually changes how our genes are being expressed. And things that cause stress, it can be a lot of different things. So in our modern life, not getting our needs met, and you might have a need for freedom or a need for connection that's not being met. Um, it can be our experience with our senses. So we don't actually have five senses. We have eight senses, um, which include like the other senses around balance, where our body is in space and what's going on inside of us and how aware we are of that. So having that information can cause stress, um, you know, relationships, all these modern things can cause this really, give us this really complex tapestry of stress that's going on. And not all stress is bad. So I don't want it to be like, oh no, stress is evil. Um, I better go you know, live this stress-free, completely stress-free life. It's not possible. And stress can also cause really good epigenetic changes that are really positive for us. But when stress becomes overwhelming, chronic, it causes problems. And how our huntress, this is how it ties all back in, how our huntress and our mermaid brain and our queen respond to stress is really interesting. Because back in their day, when they evolved, stress meant danger. So they actually can't tell the difference between stress and danger. If you forget everything else from this podcast, <laughs> remember this, that your brain cannot tell the difference between stress and danger. It can't tell the difference between a tiger chasing you and a mean boss. Like it just can't. As far as your brain is concerned, if it stresses you out, it's dangerous. And even if it's imagined, so it doesn't even have to be real stress, right? Like even if you think that your boss is being mean, but you're not really sure, were they implying something by that comment? Are they going to fire you? Like even this imagined stress, your brain can't tell the difference between real and pretend. It actually views it all as being the same. And we know that from brain scans. We know that if we get you to imagine hearing a sound, your brain reacts as if it's hearing the sound. So it's your body that really anchors you because that's, your mind can, you know, go into the past. It can be like, oh, this thing that happened, oh, I'm so upset about it. And your mind can go into the future. Like, oh, what's going to happen next week when I have to do this thing? Oh, it's so stressful. But your body's always in the present moment. So your body and your huntress kind of anchors you when it comes to dealing with stress. And that's why you see a lot of things like mindfulness and grounding strategies and things like that that can really work for stress and anxiety. But what happens is if something stressful happens, and it's a little bit more stressful and overwhelming than it, it should be because anxiety is just a, a sign that you don't have the tools you need to cope, right? It actually, your huntress gets these messages that like this stuff's going on. She's a bit stressed about it. She sends this message to your emotional brain and your mermaid brain, and they kind of decide like how they should react. And unfortunately, when they're not involving the queen, their response typically falls into three, there's a few more than three, but the main three categories. So normally they will fight, flight or freeze. So they might decide to fight whatever it is because they're viewing it as danger, right? So they're kind of like, oh, this thing's happening. It's like a tiger attacking us. Do we fight the tiger off? Do we run away from it, which is flight? Or do we, you know, is it a threat where we need to kind of hide and not move so it doesn't see us? Um, so 
it kind of has those responses. And as I said, there's a few more that's like fawn and fatigue and stuff like that, but they're much more complicated responses. And your brain will kind of not really go there unless you're in a much more complicated situation. So you have your fight, flight, freeze response. And in real life, you know, that's really not helpful in a lot of our everyday life. If a tiger's chasing you, these responses happen automatically. You don't get to choose them. So they're just things that your brain decides it's happening. You don't get to say like, maybe I'll do this and maybe I'll do that. Your brain just decides it's happening and it picks which one it thinks will work best. And then, you know, normally if it was like a danger like that, hopefully it would work. The danger would pass. You'd calm down and everything would be okay. But in modern day stress, if you have like a big deadline or something to do and you're frozen and you, your brain just won't work, right? Like you, you can't think clearly. You can't even think about what you're going to say working on this project. Or if you become avoidant, which is flight in the modern day world, so you procrastinate, you put it off, like these things become really harmful for us and they cause a lot of issues. And the thing is, the reason why we have our queen not really stepping in and helping us, because, you know, she is the master of communication. She's the one that's like, no, like, get on that, get that done now, manage that time properly, prioritize this, think about this, problem solve it. The reason why she's not really stepping in is because when it came to how we evolved to respond to danger, we kind of didn't want to be using our queen brain to assess situations because number one, we didn't have time. If that tiger's running for you, you need to make a decision. You don't need to sit there problem solving it from every angle. Um, and number two, she's really energy hungry. Like she takes a lot of energy and your huntress and your mermaid are wanting to send that energy to your body. They want you to be fast and strong. So they're redirecting energy away from anything non-essential for survival. And that doesn't just go for your brain. So your queen isn't the only one who's being cut off here. They're also cutting off your immune system. Like it doesn't matter if you get sick. Um, with a, a head cold next week if a tiger is about to eat you now it cuts off your digestive system your reproductive system it affects like your your sleep and everything like that so the biggest problems that we see with stress is that chronic stress can cause things like anxiety depression trauma responses through this process called allostatic overload which basically means all of these hormones are being produced, right? When this stress happens, the way your brain talks is through these, um, these hormones and neurotransmitters, which are basically chemical messengers. Neurotransmitters are ones in your brain. So that's the word neuro. And um, you have hormones, which are chemical messengers in your blood, and they're talking to each other and they do different things. So when you get triggered by something really stressful, things like um, cortisol, which is a stress hormone, and the adrenalines, norepinephrine and epinephrine, they're being released. And that's because they make you fast and strong. They help you react really quickly. So they're actually being released. They're muscle activators. They make you want to move in case you have to run away, in case you have to be really still, in case you're in pain, but you need to hide it for that danger response. So they're all being released. But after stress goes away, especially if stress is chronic or it doesn't go away, they've got nowhere to go. They kind of settle in the body. Um, they're really hard to get rid of from your body, especially if you've reached this overload. And that's how we get a lot of chronic health conditions. So not only do we end up with the mental health conditions that come from stress, such as anxiety, depression, trauma, and that kind of thing, 
we can also end up with physical health conditions from this these hormones and these neurotransmitters settling in the body and you know having an effect because they're, they're muscle activators and your heart is a muscle organs in your body are affected especially by cortisol so you end up with chronic health conditions as well as a result of stress and that's why i know that was a very long description and hopefully it all made sense but that's why i'm so passionate about this is because stress can be preventable anxiety depression those things are all very very treatable and in doing so you can prevent a lot of longer term mental health and physical health issues so i guess in a way um like my path my witchy path has always been that of a healer yeah i'd love to be like a mystical psychic or something unfortunately i'm not i'm much more of a healer um and i have a real privilege to to help people and this is how i do it is through teaching them about stress teaching them about their brain and using that information to understand how each person is unique because everyone really is and we need to find the coping strategies and the the self-care and the things that actually work for you because it's not the same for everyone mm, i love that point and that's something that last week's episode uh covered is is finding the thing that works specifically for you um, because I think we tend to think that things are more one size fits all than is really true. Um, but something I really loved that you said was about the mermaids and huntresses, huntress, huntress eye, <laughs> uh, redirecting <Yeah>. energy <laughs> in the body. Mm-hmm. Um, and that gave me such a great visual. Um, I th- I feel like I like hear these things and know these things, um, but I can't really conceptualize why the immune response would lower or or what that actually looks like. And so imagining my little mermaid, oh, uh, like redirecting that energy mm-hmm. to go somewhere else is so helpful visually. Mm-hmm. That's right. You're basically the queen evacuates when you're really stressed out, right? The queen is gone. And that's why if you try and like, someone's like, what's wrong? You, Annabella, are you okay? And like, nothing comes out. You're just like, oh, I don't even know how to explain it. Or, you know, you're in an argument with someone and in the moment you can't think clearly. And then you walk away and you're like, oh, I should have said this. And I should have said that because your queen's just come back online. But, you know, your queen evacuates the castle. She literally, danger's coming. She's very queen-like. She flees to safety. And then you've got the mermaid who's suddenly left in charge. And the mermaid is kind of like your inner teenage girl a little bit as well. So like what she thinks sounds like a really good idea at the time. Later on, you're like, why did I do that? <laughs> um, so she's, yeah, she's a very, um, she's, she's doing her best. Like I don't want it to be like um, if you're in your emotional brain, that's always a bad thing either. Emotions are wonderful things as well as sometimes really tricky things. But um, when she's left to make decisions, she doesn't always make what would necessarily be the best decision. Mm. And she's kind of bossing the huntress around a little bit. And the huntress is also, you know, giving her information. Um, And the mermaid's job is to really sound the alarm. So she's constantly getting information coming in. So the huntress is sending sensory information. She's like, oh, it's really noisy in here. Do we panic? And the mermaid's like, nah. Now this is cool. We're at a concert. We're having fun. This, this like anxiety we're feeling is actually excitement because this is awesome. So she's the one that's kind of making those judgment calls about what does get fed up to the queen as well and like when to cut the queen off and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, she's really directing the traffic in a lot of ways. So she's um, very powerful um, and has a lot of responsibility as well when you think of it like that. 
Yeah. Oh, that's so, I love that so much. Um, I am a somatic inner child healing facilitator and a somatic practitioner. I want to tell you about my inner child healing sessions for women who are looking to heal inner wounds and build a deeper connection with their body and their emotions. Women who long to feel safe in their body and want to learn how to build a supportive and trusting relationship with all parts of themselves so that they can show up in the world with genuine rooted confidence as their authentic self. In these sessions, I gently guide you to connect with younger inner parts of yourself and teach you how to navigate your body's memories that are connected to those parts of your psyche. We explore the challenges and intentions that you bring, and I help you understand what your inner children are trying to communicate to you through feelings, sensations, and patterns. Connecting deeper with yourself in this way will bring you clarity and insights and gently support you in healing old inner wounds so you can live your life feeling safe and free from the past. On my website, lisalunsman.com, you can find free resources about somatic inner child healing and how it can support you in your healing journey. You can also book a free connection call with me to hear more about how the healing works. You get $200 off of any of my session packages if you use the code SELFSUPPORT when you book the sessions. I am sending lots of love to you in your healing journey. comment about imagine stress and how our bodies or our minds or both don't know the difference between something that we're imagining or perceiving and something that's actually happening. Mm-hmm. And I know that I myself will create all of these situations in my head. Um, and so mm-hmm. it's kind of helpful, helpful to remind myself, like, you know, maybe if I could stop doing that <laughs> when it's accessible, maybe I should, because I think I have fun with it too. Maybe my inner mermaid's like, yeah. And then you would say this and she would say this, but mm-hmm. it's good to know that maybe, maybe I should save that. <laughs> yeah. That's um, how a lot of um, anxiety present presents and a lot of even like things like obsessive compulsive disorder mm. is that the thoughts are very intrusive mm. and they feel true. Like this is the thing about emotions. Emotions are always valid, but they're not always true, mm. which means that. So if you feel something like, that's really important and it should never be minimized and dismissed but just it's kind of an assumption that we make and our mermaid makes is if we feel something it must be true so you know if we feel like someone's annoyed at us um, it must be true that they're annoyed at us and so there's a bit of a disconnect because we're filtering everything through this this mermaid lens um, and she will always lean towards the negative how our brain works when it comes to learning is that we learn negative things much more quickly. A really good example of this is if you've ever had food poisoning, you learn very fast that whatever food gave you food poisoning, you should avoid (laughs) very badly. Uh, And that just takes one negative experience. So how our brain works is it will actually learn the negative stuff much more quickly than the positive. It takes a lot more positive experiences to overcome one negative. And that's because our brain doesn't like danger. So if you have one negative experience that your brain interprets as being stressful and therefore dangerous and unsafe, it will, you know, overlook all the positive experiences because it wants to protect you. Our huntress wants to keep us alive. So if you have something negative happen, 
they will very much, that, that's how we get things like a trauma response, which is an overwhelm of your ability to cope with something that is so horrific or disgusting, you just can't cope. And that's one type of, of a significant danger response. Anxiety is another one because anxiety is all about understanding how dangerous your environment is. And that kind of leads in really nicely to what happens if you're anxious a lot. If you think of anxiety as being on a scale from one to 10, or let's say zero to 10, and zero is like you're completely emotionally regulated. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you're calm, but you're in control. Anything stressful that comes along, you're on top of, you can deal with. And then 10 is a state of like severe panic. It's the most extreme panic you could possibly imagine. The interesting thing about this scale is that anxiety is very energy hungry. So anxiety is kind of like running on high alert all the time. And if you run on high alert, you can move up that scale so that if your natural normal state is, say, a four, but you have a lot of stress in your life, you move house, you break up with a partner, you change jobs, your mermaid brain kind of goes like, oh, seems like this environment's a little bit dangerous. Maybe we should up the anxiety level, make the new normal level a six. The problem is when you sit with a normal anxiety level toward the closer towards 10 you get, you don't need very much stress to go from say a seven or eight to a 10. So that's why that idea of like the straw that broke the camel's back, a little bit of stress might tip you over the edge because your normal set point of anxiety is already so high. And the thing that often happens is that depression is kind of the opposite of anxiety. So depression from an evolutionary perspective is the least amount of energy you need to survive. So when you think of depression, it depresses you. It makes you have no energy. You rest a lot. You conserve energy. You sleep a lot. You don't really think too much because it's really tiring. So it's all about surviving on the least amount of energy possible. And what happens is if you're experiencing anxiety and a lot of stress, you might go from being really high and then your body will actually cycle you into depression in order to help you recharge your battery because you can't maintain that level of anxiety forever. So people often find that they experience both anxiety and depression or that often depression, there's a, you know, the reason why we talk about stress may cause depression as well is actually because of that, that scale and the cycling that happens between high energy recharge my battery high energy recharge my battery so people find that they may move up and down the scale um, which is something really good to know that they're kind of all linked to that stress response yeah absolutely that's something that I've definitely experienced when I was really in the thralls of the up and down I'd feel very anxious for a very long time and suddenly it would really crash and I'd feel very very low mm -hmm. for a period of time so I love that you said that. And I feel like we don't really talk about that very much. Mm -hmm, definitely. And I mean, from an evolutionary perspective, if you think of your huntress again, that makes sense because mm -hmm. your huntress is all about avoiding danger, but she's also about finding food because, you know, starvation is a huge threat. So as far as your body is concerned and your brain is concerned, if you experience a lot of stress, it could be famine. And that's when it makes sense to conserve energy. If the threat you're facing isn't, say, a war, it's long-term, it's chronic, your body kind of concludes like, hey, maybe this is famine and we better conserve our energy. So you end up in that state, which is just basically a famine response. 
Oh, you mentioned the fatigue and fawning response. Is that similar to the fatigue response? Yes, pretty much. Yeah, the fatigue response is, um, uh, I'm sure a lot of people relate to this one, when you're really stressed out and all you want to do is just rest and sleep and you just can't deal and you just want to rest. Your fawn response is um, very common in really complex um, family violence situations and stuff like that, um, which is kind of like the simplest way to think of it is like, yeah, either some like it's kind of like convince the bear not to eat you, like mm. someone close to you is dangerous to you, so you appease them, um, or you're really really cute. So like you're the really cute little deer, like, please don't eat me. I'm so cute. Um, so it's it's often about that appeasing um, a person who is a threat to you in a, a really unsafe environment that you can't really escape very easily. Mm. Oh, I love the visuals that you're giving everything. I really appreciate that. The fun. I'm a very visual person. <laughs> Imagination makes this way more fun. So <laughs> Yes. Someone once told me that um, the psychology, like Annabella, that psychology stuff's really boring, you know? And I was like, no, if it's boring, then people like me aren't doing our job right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. I like it because it's not boring. It's very exciting. Yeah. So what was your path like? Because I know you do merge mm. the science and the spiritual, but I'm curious yeah. how that got started. Yeah. So, um, well, my path was, so I grew up, um, in a half Australian, half Italian family and town. Um, so I had like a bit of a mix of cultures there, um, and a very small country town and in Australia, like very small country towns, they do not care about mental health at all. Um, like there's not very much awareness about that kind of thing. Um, and I also, the town I grew up in was actually, quite um had quite a reputation for being quite unsafe so I was in a very unsafe environment so at the same time as I'm having spiritual development stuff like I saw my first ghost or spirit I'm not really sure what it was I saw something at age of 10 and at the age of 10 I was very much like ghosts aren't real um so (laughs) seeing that really changed my perspective and what I found is no one believed me um and this was a super real experience for me. This wasn't even a case of like me seeing something and being like, I'm seeing a ghost. It was a case of me actually interacting with something that I thought was my sister. So the whole time I was interacting, I was like, oh, this is my sister. Um, like, you know, she's sleepwalking. I better take her back to bed. And I was trying to talk to her and t- I reached out to touch her. My hand went straight through her. So I did like that double take panic thing, ran to her room and she's asleep in bed. Um, but you know, having done that and then discovered witchcraft through like a moon magic article at the age of 12 um, and then meeting like-minded people when I went to university and moved to the big city um, and starting to learn things like how to see auras and read chakras and learning from lots of people following lots of different spiritual paths. That was kind of developing at the same time as my own mental health issues were developing. So I had experienced a trauma at the age of 12 um, I had undiagnosed anxiety and depression all through my teen years and on and off in my twenties as well. Um, And then I ended up basically channeled the trauma and the anxiety trying to take back some control into an eating disorder in my early twenties. And it took me a lot to pull myself out of that eating disorder and out of that hole. Um, And up until like current day where I've, recently been diagnosed with um, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, the inattentive type, and everything's kind of clicked in place and made sense because there's a lot of what we call comorbidity or 
um, in non-psychology speak, like if you have one mental health issue, you're much more likely to have others. Uh, and there is a, a theory that basically a lot of different mental health issues are just different um, sides of the same thing. So if you think of like a crystal, crystals have many sides. It's kind of like the truth can be this multifaceted crystal that these mental health issues are just different expressions of stress and what stress can lead to. So um, that kind of was ha all happening for me at the same time as I'm also becoming this super witchy woman um, where I did the typical thing where like you do Wicca and it's all about the spells. Um, and then I kind of turned to paganism and then I became really devoted in my goddess spiritual practices. And I found that my own personal lived experience of psychology is that it was really missing the spiritual aspect and the spiritual aspect when I connected it with psychology was just advancing my treatment and healing in leaps and bounds um, so that I really couldn't have overcome my anxiety, depression and recovered from my eating disorder without these incredible spiritual practices that I was doing and engaging in. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much how eventually over time I started marrying them together and realizing that we can't take the psychology out of the context. Like we, the context is psychologists and counsellors are very good at looking at a lot of environmental factors, but there are also things that they don't really consider. So sometimes, um, depending on who you speak to, you know, as a, a, a typical talking therapist, if someone called up and said, I have anxiety and I have depression, um, and you were to treat them in some of the traditional health models that we have here, you wouldn't even look at their sleep, their eating, mm. their culture, their spiritual practices, um, their exercise, like there's, there's things there that you would kind of just go to straight to treating the depression with the traditional things for depression. But depression doesn't occur in this vacuum. We have this big environmental mismatch with our psychology. And, you know, how many of us wouldn't have, not all mental health issues, but how many of us wouldn't have a lot more well-being if we suddenly won, you know, a few million dollars in the lotto or something like that. So a lot of our... Um, stresses are very environmental and we don't always look at the big picture we don't look holistically at what's going on for someone we often treat mental health as this separate stream separate to physical health separate to spiritual health separate to social health separate to all of these different kinds of health mm. oh that's so wonderful I love that you're doing this work um yeah I like that you're marrying marrying all these aspects of a person into this beautiful whole bodied whole person experience um hmm. something you said I wanted to comment on but I totally forgot <laughs> it'll come back to you <laughs> you just blew me away <laughs> forgot everything I was gonna say um hmm. yeah I'm curious oh I'm curious what the fourth um here in our uh, here, but you know, yeah, I mean. the brain. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. hadn't forgotten because I, I had on my to do list that um, the stuff that people I'm guessing really want is like cool, Annabella, that's awesome. But how do I actually do this? Like, what did you actually do as a witch that actually <laughs> helped? Um, so the fourth part, I guess it's not really necessarily a brain um, aspect of the brain, it's more like a brain state or brain waves. 
So when we think about our huntress and our mermaid and even our queen, they're operating from a specific um, like brain wave. Um, and that's where we spend a lot of our, our, our time and space. Basically, we spend a lot of our day in beta, um, which is a type of brain wave where we're relatively alert. It's also the brain wave where we sit when we're anxious or stressed as well. And there's all these other amazing brain waves that you can actually access. So I like to think of utilizing witchcraft and spirit, other spiritual practices as well as allowing us to reach our different brainwave states. So there's different brainwaves like um, basically kind of in order of like sort of different meditative states, psychic states, all the way up to like the really deep meditation or sleep, which is the most healing state. It's our dream state. You have alpha, theta, and delta. So they're all sort of these varying levels of like, if you do a light meditation to hypnosis, to, you know, incredible trance states, um, you have those brainwave states happening. And you also have gamma, which is a very fast state. And you see that a lot in uh, like Buddhist monks when they practice universal love and stuff like that. So we have these four other brainwaves that are going on, but we spend most of our time in beta. So for me, this, these brainwave states and accessing them are all about your either your inner priestess or sorceress or whatever you want to give that name to. So if you have your huntress and your mermaid and your queen, you know, who else do they have involved in their life? Queens always have spiritual advisors. So being able to do things for your mental health that change and alter your states of consciousness. And when I say altered consciousness, I don't just mean the extreme trance or anything like that. You know, I'm also talking about um, getting absorbed in a game. Like if you're an online gamer, being absorbed in a game is an altered state of consciousness. It's a state of flow. Being a rock climber who's climbing a rock wall is a state of flow. Meditating is a state of flow. Being in the present moment and doing grounding is a state of flow. Casting spells and doing rituals are a great way to reach a different flow state. And as I'm a dancer, for me, my um, inner, inner priestess or inner sorceress is very much connected with dance because belly dance is a form of embodiment. So it's spiritual action, but in your body. Like it's not just some like woo-woo sit and meditate on a rock because I don't do very well with sitting still mindfulness will send me into like a trauma related panic attack. So I had to find other ways. Um, you know, you, I'd see um, counselors and psychologists and they'd be like, no, it's mind. You have to do mindfulness. And I'd be like, but that's not working for me. <laughs> like it's actually, my body's a really unpleasant place to be. I have a lot of sensory issues. I can't just sit there and like absorb, like acknowledge my thoughts and let them go. Um, so for me, I had to find lots of different ways to do that. And uh, I found a lot of different things that worked for different mental health experiences throughout my life because, you know, it's never really like a linear journey. It's often quite cyclical. So I found when I was really anxious, things like rituals, because rituals are like this routine and they're safe, right? They put you in the present moment, but they're not necessarily about sitting and feeling your body. A ritual is a repeated action or movement, and it often involves this wonderful sense of beauty and awe, which can, and, you know, this idea of sacredness. Um, so I found rituals to be an incredible technique uh, for managing anxiety. Um, so, for example, uh, this one, 
is amazing and how life-changing it is. People literally come up and grab me and say, Annabella, this changed my life. And it's so simple. Showering by candlelight. Like one day I just decided, why am I like standing naked, like in this harsh, harsh light, like in this situation where I'd just been previously to like a spa and you know, they set the ambiance. They have music, they have beautiful scents, they have candlelight. So I just turned the lights off and lit a candle and played some music. And it was just so transformative. It just instead of being in these bright lights at nighttime, right before bed, I found myself just being able to unwind. And I've told a few people to do this and they love it. So um, if you try nothing else from this, <laughs> try having a shower by candlelight if you can and it's safe to do so. Um, but I think too, even things like going back to the fact that your brain can't tell the difference between real and pretend, that's actually an incredible tool. So as witches, we can learn like what I, I would consider glamour magic. And I know people can use that term differently. But according to psychology, there's um, like this technique called like behavioral activation therapy. And there's a lot of really great psychology behind it, which is basically that if you act like something is true, if you fake it till you make it, it actually changes your psychology. Um, and some really good examples I can give is that in sports psychology, they have athletes just imagine themselves getting better. So if you're an athlete who's a runner, you just imagine yourself getting off that start line faster and faster. And what they found is just by having athletes imagine it without actually doing it, just imagine it, they actually improved by about 30%. Their speed increased by about 30%. And they found the same with healing, that if you have someone who's injured, so they actually deliberately injured people in the roof of their mouth. I don't know who volunteers for studies like this, but people do. And they had them imagine their wound healing faster compared to a group that didn't, right? And they found that their wounds healed 30% faster. So there's something in this idea of like ritual as well, like that idea of like casting a spell and ritually adorning yourself and like channeling that energy of a specific goddess or something like that to help you be more confident or to help you attract love or whatever it might be. Um, so, I mean, that's uh, some examples of ways that I use those in my everyday life. But I mean, I have examples for my all my different experiences. So like when I had an eating disorder, mm. the um, main thing that really helped me was my cousin actually said to me, first eat the good, then eat the bad, then eat the ugly. Because I had bulimia nervosa, which is where you binge and purge or not necessarily purge, but you try and counteract the binge eating mm -hmm. so that you end up in this vicious cycle where you lose control and you binge and then you do stuff to try and you feel guilty and upset about that and distressed. So you do stuff to try and counteract the binge. So for me, it was a lot of extreme exercise and starvation and things like that. Yeah. And when my cousin said that to me, I got really into herbal medicine and kitchen witchcraft and stuff like that, which like it wasn't the only thing that helped absolutely but it was a this really amazing thing instead of thinking of food as being the enemy and something that was like would control me I found this beautiful way to connect with plants and understand how they actually benefited my body and we also know that's really good for um depression and anxiety because the normal treatments for depression are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors which are basically a medicine, like a medical form of having more serotonin, which is a neurotransmitter in your brain that helps all the different parts of your brain talk to each other and helps you control your moods, right? 
it's kind of like if you think of like your brain has like these vacuum cleaners in it sucking up the serotonin when you take these meds the vacuum cleaner gets blocked Mm, so the serotonin increases in your brain so what's really interesting though is that 90% of the serotonin is made in your digestive system. So it's not actually made in your brain, it's made in your gut. And so your gut bacteria has a huge influence on feeling depressed, for example. So there's things like that that um, really helped me. Dance was a big one because I was able to reach different trance states um, as well as embody different goddess energies and things like that. And also I just love the use of imagination. I'm a big imaginer. Um, so that really ties in well to the glamour magic that ties in well to um, spell work rituals and even dance because for me dancing is not just like exercise it's like this whole like you know I become someone else and I'm my dance is doing something it's it's ritual and spell work in motion yes oh that's gorgeous um I also loved when you started talking about the brain waves um I used to be in research and I used to do EEGs. So I haven't heard about, I just haven't talked about brainwaves in a while. That was very fun for me to talk about. Um, Oh, that's beautiful. And I wanted to ask you really quickly if you've ever seen the movie Soul. (laughs) So random, but they talk about the soul or the, the flow state and how they're kind of like going into the heaven area and you can kind of see them in their own magical flow state. So that kind of, I mean, I thought about that sounds so cool. Yeah. <laughs> Gabrielle Roth, um, who's a famous trans dancer, I used to talk about how the universe is constantly in motion. It's a constant dance. Um, and, you know, as humans, we're designed to move. And one of the best things you can do if you're feeling anxious is movement, however that works for you, because all those muscle activators are being triggered by your huntress. Like they're, they're actually making you want to fight or flight. So they make you want to either run away or fight danger so doing physical activity kind of triggers like it signals to your brain like hey i've ran away or fought danger we can calm down now so this idea of like sitting still like you know you're really anxious the idea of like sitting still and meditating or something it's doing the exact opposite of what your body's trying to make you do so yeah i mean my advice to anyone who's very new to this um, and really wants to self-care would be to know yourself so just start figuring out, oh, like what's, what, what are your clues? What are your clues in your body? What are your thought clues? Like, do you find yourself um, mind reading or predicting the future or, you know, everything becomes, you jump straight to all the negatives. Like what are the clues in your thoughts that you're stressed out? What are your clues in your body? And what are the things around you that stress you out? So you might know yourself that like you hate summer, it's too hot. That is a clue that you're probably going to be more stressed than normal. Um, Get the basics right, get your sleep, nutrition, exercise and stuff like that right. And then start using everyday rituals, start using spells, honor your own cycles, whether that's menstrual cycle or the environment you're in like the world that you live in like I'm in the subtropics very different compared to people who have a definite winter and a definite summer so that would be kind of like a starting point um, for people is just to know those start to pay attention to those things and start tying what's going on with your body and your mind to your spiritual practices however best works for you Hmm. thank you so much for that um 
you gave us so much good information, so many amazing visuals and so many tangible tools. Um, and I'm curious how people can work with you and, and dive deeper into this work with you. So um, if you visit my website, thementalhealthwitch.com, so I have a lot of um, different blog posts. I'm constantly putting up blogs on different topics. I'm very passionate about that. Um, you can work with me one-on-one -on -one if you would like to as well. Um, and I'm and in the moment current, like developing um, some different um, sort of like self-help tools and resources like psychoeducation that goes through in great detail what we talked about um, and to actually help you figure out your own psychology. So sign up for the wait list for that. It's not fully developed yet because this is all very, still very new to me, this part um, of, you know, moonlighting as the mental health witch. But definitely check me out on Instagram would be the socials I'm most active on as well. So at the underscore mental health underscore witch um, and follow me on there. So you'll get the, the latest and greatest of what's going on there as well. Wonderful. I can't wait for that resource. I'm definitely going to gobble it up. Um, and all of the website links and your um, Instagram handle will be in the show notes as well for people to just click on. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Annabella. You have a beautiful way of explaining things and such a wonderful energy and you're doing really amazing work. So I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Sam. And thank you so much for doing what you're doing to give people information. I mean, podcasts are an important ritual for me every single morning. And I've learned so much from listening to so many different people. Like we have all these people at our and wisdom at our fingertips, which is really amazing. So thank you for allowing that and facilitating for that to happen. Oh, thank you so much.